Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask you to download the app, the Veritas app, and please share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. Uh, Joe and my social presence is really, uh, social media presence, presence is really growing so we'd ask you uh if you want to follow us there for our uh, all of our quick commentaries and our monday night live show you could uh the primary places are on twitter at with joe and joe at with joe and joe on twitter and also on youtube at the frontline tv so we'd ask you to help us out like subscribe share do all that fun stuff and today we're very pleased and honored to be joined by deacon bob evans and Deacon Bob has written a new book, Understanding St. Paul. Joe, I think St. Paul went into the breach. What do you say? Oh, I would say so. I would say so. We love St. Paul here, and we, everybody, all Catholics and Christians should. Uh, Understanding St. Paul, a concise guide to his theology, his letters, and his life. And that's out from Sophia Press. And all of you out there at Veritas know what I'm about to say is please don't buy the book anywhere else except the publisher if you can help it. Uh, we need to support not just our authors, but also our publishers. Uh, so Sophia Institute Press. Now, some of you out there uh, might even own the book, might know something about Deacon Bob. Having said that, uh, Deacon Bob Evans and his wife Rose live in Phoenix, where he serves as a deacon in the Roman Catholic Diocese of Phoenix, ministering at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Scottsdale, where yay, that's where I am. Most of you out there know have been for the last year. Uh, they have three children, six grandchildren. Uh, since 2004, uh, Deacon Bob is, uh, has been engaged in extensive bi biblical studies and is a popular teacher of biblical foundations at the parish level. Scripture for homiletics to candidates in deacon formation and Jesus's parables in a diaconate post-ordination program. He mentors newly ordained deacons, serves as the assistant director of deacon Deacon personnel for the Diocese of Phoenix and helps as a spiritual director on Crisillo retreats. His website may be found at www.stevensbrother. That's with a P-H, stevensbrother.com. Deacon Bob Evans, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that was quite a quite an introduction there. Say, boy, oh You're boy. a superstar, Deacon Bob. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who's he talking about? <laughs> So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Deacon Bob, would you lead us in prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless us as we share today the uh, insights and the marvelous example that we receive from St. Paul and uh, help us to better understand him and thereby better understand fulfilling your will. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Deacon Bob, obviously St. Paul is a very interesting character. Um, you know, 
I always think of him as like, you know, God, man has plans, but God, you know, and then God laughs because no one would ever pick St. Paul, you know, during his time or you look at him. I mean, he was a radical, radical guy. What attracted you to his life and why St. Paul that you wrote about just out of, you know, curiosity? Sure, sure. Um, actually, it began more than 20 years ago. I was a regular uh, lector at weekday mass, would regularly read passages from Paul, as uh, Paul's letters. And one summer, we had a seminarian, an Irish fellow, Killian McCaffrey, who was uh, assigned to our parish as his pastoral practicum. And after he would engage me in talking about St. Paul, and I really marveled at how much he knew, how what insight he had, and the passion he had about. It. And I thought, I've got to, I've got to know Paul better, you know. And so I undertook basically a campaign of studying Paul, uh, coming to better understand him over a long period of time. Uh, and at one point, there was kind of a turning point in my my studies. I came across the writings of a father, Jerome Nere, who pioneered some years back, looking at St. Paul from the standpoint of how his listeners would have understood what he was saying, rather than how do we interpret in our times what he's saying. And that kind of got my thinking turned quite a bit. And I said, yes, that's, that's the secret to understanding Paul. We need to understand first what his first listeners understood from, from his writings, find what's the underlying lesson that he was conveying, and it's the lesson that we bring into our times rather than the, the specifics. And let me give you a really good example. Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is advising the Corinthians on marriage and having children, and basically he's saying, don't marry, don't have children. And you think, what? <laughs> How can this be sound Catholic teaching? I don't understand this. What we need to understand is that in Paul's time, everyone was convinced that Jesus was returning any day now, literally any day now. And so to bring more children into the world was irresponsible parenting. You, you would bring children into the world who would never grow to adulthood. They would never come to know Christ as adults. They would never be contributors to their, to their family because it was all going to end soon. And so to, in his times, responsible parenting was just what he was saying. The underli that's the underlying message. Christians need to engage in responsible parenting. So now we say, in our times, what's responsible parenting? Well, in our times, responsible parenting is providing a safety, a safe area for our children who feel very threatened today. And we need to take a much greater responsibility in the education of our children. We've abdicated that to others, much to the detriment of our children. So the message is, you need to engage in responsible parenting in the context in which you are living. That's the point of Paul's message. Not that we are to uh, not marry, that we're not to have children. That fit the circumstances of his time. And that's the way we need to interpret many of the things that Paul is talking about. He's speaking in the context of his times. We need to see what's the lesson in it and then see how does that apply in our times. And that's kind of how what drew me into this. 
I was asked at one point to put together a, a semester-long class on Paul's letters, which I did. Out of that, the students basically insisted, you got to make a book out of this, you got to make a book out of this. Okay. <laughs> and so that's what basically led to the book. I didn't start out with the idea I'm going to write a book on Paul. I was kind of dragged into it as I was sharing with you earlier. The Lord kind of grabs your collar and drags you along and you go where he takes you, you know? Well, or he or he strikes you down on the road to Damascus. <laughs> <laughs> well, some some guys really need need a smack on the side of the head. Dude, for the Lord uh, uh, to I'm going to raise you know? my hand and say I'm in that category. I need a good wallop right up to the side of my head. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, what What else is going on at this time? Give a, give our audience, Deacon Bob Evans, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his new book about St. Paul. Remember, buy it from Sophia Press, Understanding St. Paul, A Concise Guide to His Theology, His Letters, and His Life, which is obviously, as you alluded to, Deacon, is going to be informed by the times uh, within which he is living. What else is going on there? What's the relationship with the Jews? What's the relationship with the Romans? Um, obviously, St. Paul is a devout Jew. He's a learned Jew. All right. He's he's studied with Gamaliel, who's the greatest teacher of that of that era. I mean, what else is going on there that we need to know so that we could put his letters in a proper context? Well, at the time, Rome dominated the known world, but Rome was a very unstable empire. There was infighting all the time, assassination of uh, emperors. There were emperors committing suicide. It was a very tumultuous time. And so the people feared greatly disorder and, and, they, and the maintenance of order was central to their lives and it's central to the thinking of Paul's listeners. And a great deal of Paul's letters, uh, advice, is about how to maintain order uh, in the community. And those who upset order were a threat to the community. Uh, in, in the first century, God's creation was seen not as an act of love, but as an act of supreme order. If you read the creation narrative, you see that God separates what doesn't belong together. He separates light from dark. He separates day from night. He separates the, the sky from the land, the water from the, from the, from the land. It's, it was about putting things in their proper place is the way the people of the first century interpreted creation. And therefore, God left this order in the hands of mankind so that our responsibility was to maintain order. And so this maintenance of order is central to their thinking and permeates many of the issues they dealt with, in, in, particularly those who came and taught false theologies. They were just not just troublesome, they threatened the order of the community. And the way in those days you deal with those who threaten order is you push them out of the community. You get rid of them, you excommunicate them. That was the way of dealing with those who presented contrary lines of thinking. You say, well, okay, what's the, what's the lesson here? Does that mean we need to start excommunicating people? No, <laughs> that fit their concept of order. In our times, those who present contrary lines of thinking, we need to try to 
point, first of all, point out the error of their ways and try to draw them in, not push them away. Because pushing them away creates schism. We not only lose those who we've pushed away, excuse me, <clears throat> we also lose the sympathizers as well. We actually create a split in the church. You know, that, that's the, the profound lesson from the Protestant Reformation, that, that pushing away those who disagree with you is not the right approach. It fit Paul's time, does not fit our times. Absolutely. Deacon Bob Evans joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Resinello, where do you want to go with St. Paul? He was a radical man. <clears throat> I want to talk about that. Sure. When I was a kid, I had a friend, Rick Martinez. He used to say, Joe, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And I remember that. I kind of lived that way. When I was away from the church, I ran in a certain direction. And then when I found the church at 22 years old, I ran in the opposite direction towards God equally as fast. Paul did the same thing. He was a radical Jew. He was a radical Jew. And he basically persecuted anyone that was contrary to that belief. And then God touched him. And then he ran in the opposite direction. And he was a radical Catholic. Talk about how his past affected his present. Because I'll be honest with you, I think, and I've we talk to a lot of people, Deacon Bob. God sometimes chooses people who the world would never imagine. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm one of them. Like if you went to, say, my friends in college and you said Joe Resinello is going to be on the radio and he is going to be a zealous Catholic, they would be like, you are crazy. Mm -hmm. But God chose me. Well, I'm not comparing myself to Paul by no means, but what I am saying is sometimes he chooses radical people, and they're the people that lay it out there. Talk about his past, how it affected his present, and how he and how sometimes God chooses those people that the world just says no way. Well, in in Paul's case, he regarded those who um, were followers of the way, which was the term used then, <clears throat> were heretics, that they were proclaiming two gods, a son and a father. And in Judaism, there's only one God, you know? And at the time, Christianity was part of Judaism. So they threatened the very fiber of what he held dearest, his belief in God through Judaism. And so he was, he zealously persecuted what he regarded as being a threat to his religion. And that's exactly the kind of commitment to cause that God needed, and which is why he, he chose Paul. And in your own case, Joe, that commitment to a cause, a commitment to something that has meaning, gives my life purpose, and that's why he, he chose Paul. And in many cases, that's why he chooses others, and, and uh, they are just as committed, you know? Uh, I, I, my own case, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trained as a nuclear engineer. I mean, who, who has nuclear engineers as deacons? You know? <laughs> What's going on here? Similar circumstance. It, I, I don't know what it is. I, I never taught a thing when I was younger. I wasn't a teacher at all. And in part of diaconate formation, uh, I turned out that I had a calling to teaching. And I've been basically a teacher ever since. 
again, the situation of where God knows what, what he's gifted you with. And it's our task to discern what is that gift that God has given us, that, that, that charism, as, as, as Paul referred to them, that, that he has given us, that is the means by which we are to manifest God to others. And so that's, uh, that's Paul living through all of us, those who are willing to do what God asks of us and give it the very best we have. Well, Deacon Bob, let me, let me uh, keep going with that for a second, okay? Sure. Joe, Joe makes a good point. So it's one thing when God chooses someone who you go, that guy? Really? Like, like you know, one of those St. Paul, like, like a Malcolm Muggeridge, okay? Mm -hmm. Somebody who was an atheist, an you know, a, you know, a devout atheist, if that makes any sense, okay? Sees Mother Teresa and everybody, you know, or visits Mother Teresa, converts to the Catholic faith, and people go, that guy? Really? Um, and as Joe alluded to, people obviously had that same reaction with Paul. But talk about this. It would have been one thing if Paul sat there, uh, let's say like a Gamaliel, and just wrote and taught, okay? The dude got beat up, okay? He got thrown in prison. He got shipwrecked, okay? Um, got wrecked just uh, as far as any standard of how you should treat a human being. Paul was treated terribly, okay, for what he now said he proclaimed to believe in and then ultimately got beheaded. Talk about the necessity of not just saying the truth but living it because that's, I think, a, a major factor with St. Paul is people say, well, not for anything. Whatever you th can say about St. Paul, he obviously believed what it is that he was saying because look at what happened to him afterwards. Yes, absolutely. We tend to think of Paul as being a man of words because we talk about his writings. But he knew very well that it was the example, the action, the way he lived what he preached is what was going to be the, the thing that drew people to Christ. It, it was it, what they saw in him is this man has something and I want it in my life. And that's what drew people to Christ, far more than his words, even though we think of him as being a man of words. And a similar circumstance applies to the three of us, too. We tend to think of ourselves as being guys of words. You know, you're broadcasting, I'm, I'm writing. The truth of the matter is that the major impact that we're going to have is in whether or not we live out our Christian life the way God calls us to. It's mm -hmm. it's the conviction by which we actually live it out. And that's the lesson that we get from Paul. Well, he, you know, I, I want to hand it over to Joe Deacon Bob Evans joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his new book about St. Paul. That's, that, that's, I think, you know, one of, one of the, the things that like I take comfort in uh, just as an individual Catholic man and why I look and have, I, I, kinda, I, I you know, it's not just because of this conversation. Um, ever since I came back, or started to practice the faith again, the first thing I did was read the letters. I didn't even read the Gospels. I went straight to the letters of St. Paul. Now, there might be some reasons for that. Uh, maybe I was fearful of hearing Jesus's words, <laughs> you know, because of the way I was living my life. But Paul's no less blunt. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the thing is, but one of the things that, and the reasons why I find, like I said, hope when I think about St. Paul is because even after his conversion, he admits that he's still a sinner. Where, where Paul's, when he points out the sins of others, is the first one to point out the sins in himself and his own shortcomings. He says, I do the things I, 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 I know I shouldn't do. I don't do the things I should do. 
know what I mean? He's a model in that way of perseverance. To, to, to persevere till the end, to understand, you know, you know, Jesus didn't turn Paul into somebody who didn't sin. Paul's still a sinner, but but he's able to deal with it by God's grace and continue to move forward. And that's why I look to St. Paul myself. Any comments on that, uh, Deacon yeah. Bob? Yes. In fact, that's the remarkable lesson, shall we say, in in what we classically call Paul's conversion. The event that took place on the road to Damascus, Paul did not see as a conversion that is moving from one religion to another. He saw it as a fulfillment of his understanding of God's mission in the world and the role that he was to play in it. This was his calling to mission, is what how he understood it. And, and, and that's what many of us need to understand as well, that conversion is a process that goes on continuously throughout our whole life. It isn't a singular event. It isn't bang and suddenly there you are. It's, it's a process that proceeds through your whole life as it did with him. The reason we refer to the events on, uh, at Damascus as the conversion of Paul is because the, the, uh, the uh, observance of the conversion of Paul occurs at the end of a period in which the church used to pray for those who needed conversion. That is moving from disbelief in Christ to belief in Christ. And so that term, conversion of Paul, has stayed in our vocabulary, even though Paul never regarded it as being a conversion. Isn't that odd? That, yes, yes, it is. Joe Resinello. You can, Bob, let's talk about the culture of Paul's time, early Christians. Now, all of them were Jews, and Christ was a Jew. And then Paul confronts Peter and he says, this is for everybody. Peter takes some time to pray and he agrees with him. That was a major change, a major, major change. If you step back and think about that for a minute, to digest that as some of the disciples, you had Matthew, who was a Jew. You also had Simon the Zealot who was a zealous Jew who basically wanted to overthrow Rome through force, mm -hmm. the zealot. He was like almost like Barabbas. And then you have Paul, who was a Jew, and he's now saying, you don't have to be circumcised. I'm going to reach out to Romans. And they went along with it after Peter, who has the nod. Talk mm -hmm. about that, because I think we could relate that to what's going on now. You know, things change sometimes. <laughs> And the Pope makes the decision, and he made that decision, Peter. That was a radical, radical decision. Talk about it, because if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be Catholic, because I don't. I'm not Jewish. Sure, sure. When when this brings us back to the point that we we're making just a, a short while ago, you say. Why would these deeply invested Jews, the apostles, in particular Peter, go along with this line of reasoning? They saw in Paul's face the conviction that says this is true because we can see it in him. And that's the most compelling thing about Paul. It was what he is the very bearing he brought 
when he encountered people. That was the most convincing element and not his words at all. Although his words are important, they're the foundation of much of Christianity's terminology today. It was the, the, the very witness that Paul had in his own person that said to people, yes, what this man is saying is true. Yes, this is the right thing to do. Yeah, uh, let, let's, let's stay on, let's stay on truth. Okay, for a second, Deacon Bob Evans. Um, you can't water down the truth, okay? It is what it is. Obviously, we know the truth is a person, Jesus Christ, okay? Um, but it seems that we have, I believe, uh, we're not picking on anybody, I think it's a fact, um, that we have watered down theology going on, not just in, the, in Christianity in general, but even in the Catholic Church, okay? Uh, people are afraid to say certain things, well, not so with St. Paul. And he, he I think he would have had something to say, and probably that's why I'm asking you. What did he have to say about watered-down theology? Because to me, if you're just telling me what I want to hear, okay, I'm not Catholic because I'm not Catholic because the church needs to, to cater to what I want to hear. I'm Catholic because I want to know what the church has to say about me and how I'm living my life and how I get to go to heaven. Okay. Um, I'm not interested in something that's 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 thin. Okay. I, I want I want the fullness. Okay. What would Paul say about, or at that time, about watered-down theology, do you think? Or do, do we know? Yeah, watered-down theology to him threatened the very order of the church itself. Uh, it was more than just this person is presenting a contrary line of thinking. It's this person is literally threatening the very fabric of the church itself. And in some respects, we have a very similar situation going on now. In his day, though, the way you dealt with that is that you push these people away. You, you, you expel them, you excommunicate them. Our task is fraternal correction. And that is really hard. <laughs> and you see it going on even with one bishop and another bishop. They're uh, seeing things differently. And you say, ah, we ought to be united about this. Yeah, it would be nice to be united, but they were not united in the first century. They will not be united in the last century. You know, right. it just, that's the nature of human beings. We live in with, with, with the fact that people disagree about things, see things differently, give different emphasis to things. What we need to be careful, though, is when they start to threaten the very fabric of, of, of the community itself, that's when the pastoral role steps in. You know, Canon 5.12 says that the pastor is responsible for the spiritual life of those in his charge. When the conduct or the behavior or the words of some in the community begin to cause widespread scandal within his community, then the pastor, whether it's literally a pastor at the parish level or it's a bishop at the diocese level, has to step in and say, whoa, enough. So, well, well, that's the thing, Deacon yeah. Bob, and, and and this is not, you know, it's sad. Joe and I talk about it all the time. Okay, we're 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 not bishop bashers. We don't believe in that at all. Okay, um, but we get very confused about what's going on out there. We're not dumb. We 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 don't have. We we Joe always likes to say we didn't go to Gregorian. That's right. We did not. Okay, but we we could read. All right. Uh, we can read the catechism. We know what the church teaches. We have the census fidelium. Okay. Um, we we have a sense of the faith. Um, 
And yet when you try to fraternally correct or, or, or say, well, that, that doesn't sound right, okay, and you voice that opinion, well, then you're the one that's getting pushed out of the church. And then somebody says, well, well, you're, 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 they start calling you names. Or, or they start chewing the inside of their, their cheek like they do with St. Stephen, okay? They want to stone you and take you out. Like, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, Deacon, but you, you know where I'm going with that. I want to come back to that after the break. We are gonna we will take a quick break, uh, Deacon Bob, uh, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. If you're just joining us, Deacon Bob Evans, his book is Understanding St. Paul, A Concise Guide to His Theology, His Letters, and His Life. That's available at Sophia Press. And the website, uh, Deacon Bob, is what? is um, Stephen's brother. And you'll recall that every deacon is St. Stephen's brother. That's where the name comes from. That's so right. Stephen'sbrother.com. Absolutely. So Deacon Bob Evans is, uh, is with us here. Um, and remember, you're with us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Uh, download the app and share it with your friends. Follow Joe and I on social media wherever you see us. Frontline with Joe and Joe. Stick around. We have another great segment about St. Paul. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello. We are way in the breach with Deacon Bob Evans. We're discussing his new book, Understanding St. Paul, a concise guide to his theology, his letters, and his life, available at Sophia Press. Quick comment on what I said before the break, Deacon, in regards to, you know, um, you know when, 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 you, when you speak out, when you try to fraternally correct, or when you simply question and say it's this seems that way please deacon correct me if i'm wrong i'm not i'm not believing i don't get i don't my feelings don't get hurt if i get corrected from somebody who knows better i feel sometimes in the church you can't espouse something that we know to be true in the modern world okay we, we uh, you see you seem to be pushed out as you're describing or or you're called names or you're ostracized and you're called something that you know that you're not Am I wrong in my assessment of that, Deacon? Okay, let, let's address the term the church, and let's answer what is the church. <clears throat> Most people, when, when they hear that phrase, they think of the pope, the bishops, the Vatican, the clergy. That constitutes less than 1% of the church. <laughs> the church is the lay people, and the lay people live and manifest the culture that is around them. And so when you say that when I speak up and try to speak the truth, I get pushback, is because the very culture you live in is a pushback culture. And so they're manifesting what they encounter every single day around them. Uh, and, and that's just the nature of the circumstance. We have to deal with the circumstances we're given, just as Paul dealt with the circumstances that he is given. Yep, you're going to get pushback. <laughs> you're sometimes pr pretty harsh pushback. But Paul was confronted with harsh pushback too, you know? I mean, why why should our task be any easier, you know? Right. It, well, I, I, it's just I, what I guess we have it, to deal with. Right, I guess exactly right. Why should our task be any easier? In fact, we're you, me, Joe, we're not getting shipwrecked. Nobody's beating us over the head. Uh, nobody's throwing us in prison yet. Yet. <laughs> yeah. yet. Um, and, and God willing, we don't get beheaded. Uh, so, yeah, we have it a little bit easier than St. Paul. Joe Resinello. 
Let's talk about the controversial topics that Paul addresses. Now, during his time, he addressed slavery, scandals, excommunication, sexuality, idol worship, witchcraft, sorcery, Gnosticism, and he addressed them very bluntly. Um, I, I want to juxtapose that to today. I don't see that enough. Now, that doesn't mean you club people over the head. But one thing I've always said to my wife, um, Deacon Bob, um, is this. Jesus was always clear. He was gentle, but he was clear. Sometimes he wasn't so gentle. He whipped people out of the church. But at the same time, he was clear. And the gift of a good bishop is he is gentle. He doesn't club you over the head with the truth. But he says it, and it's crystal clear. That's a gift, actually. It's a gift I don't have, I'm going to be honest with you, because I'm not gentle, and I have to learn that by grace. Um, I recently listened to uh, Paprocki, Bishop Paprocki, address something, and I thought it was so well said. He didn't name names. He was not antagonistic. He had no agenda other than the church's agenda. He had no chip on his shoulder. He was level-headed, even, even his communication, but it was crystal clear. Bishop Olmsted, where you're from, same deal. Mm -hmm. Crystal clear. Clarity is of Christ. Paul had that. We don't have that today. Talk about how he was clear on those issues, which were equally as controversial as the issues we're facing today in the American Catholic Church. Oh, okay. Um, you bring up a, a really good point, because in the Middle East, clarity is an affront. One, it, it was the uh, responsibility of the listener to interpret what the message or point was from the speaker or writer. And if the speaker or writer was too obvious, it was actually an affront to the listener. And so there's far more subtlety in scripture than we actually realize. And let's take the, the subject of slavery that you just mentioned, okay? In the first century, nearly 70% of the population of the Roman Empire was indentured servitude or slavery, 70% of it. And the whole financial and order of the community rested on this indebtedness. The sharecroppers were indebted to the landowners, the landowners indebted to the royalty, the royalty indebted to the king, the king indebted to the emperor, and so on. You know, the whole structure was based upon this <clears throat> sense of indebtedness, excuse me. <clears throat> and so slavery was not seen as something that was immoral, even though it's immoral, it was not seen as something immoral in his time. And so for Paul to take the position, stop this, this is immoral, wasn't going to fly. He was smart enough to realize what is the point that will make a, an impact upon my listeners. In his letter to Philemon, he makes the point that everyone who was baptized is born anew and distinctions between us fall away. There are no more master, there is no more slave, there is no more Greek, there is no more Jew. We're all one in Christ. I am sending Onesius back to you and you are to receive him as a brother. Does not say you have to free him as a slave. He says you have to receive him as a brother and the community 
that that, that letter was shared with value that that advice so much they preserve that letter and it's part of the new testament today this this relatively simple letter is only one chapter to it survives to this day because of the brilliance with which paul brought the case that actually carried the day in his day slavery was wrong because it created distinctions between those who were baptized and there is no distinction in the family of jesus christ that was the, the clarity, and yet it is so subtle that most of us today don't even see it. We don't even realize that's what he's saying. Right. We, we wonder, well, why wasn't Paul more adamant in his letter to Philemon opposing slavery? Well, he was, but it's done in a very subtle way. And that is a good thing to recognize about Paul. He understood what made sense and would affect his readers, uh, his listeners at his times. And that's what we need to do today. What are the things that will make the most pronounced effect on people today? And the thing that so many people are coming to realize is the materialistic pursuit that we've been on for these last several decades is empty. There is no happiness in it. And so they long for meaning in life. And that's what the church has. That's our treasure. We can give them back a sense of meaning in their lives. And that's the thing that is most important to people. That is the best way to draw them back. Those who have, have contrary lines of reasoning, arguing out the line of reasoning, probably not going to go very far. But mm -hmm. if you can turn the discussion around to finding meaning in their lives, ah, the whole character of the problem changes. And that's the kind of thing that Paul brought to, to his writings mm. that most of us don't recognize today because we're so confrontational, you know? Yeah, we, we, we seem... Well, well, let me let me keep going with that for a second there. Uh, Deacon Bob Evans, if you're just joining us here, uh, Deacon Bob Evans is uh, talking with uh, Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasol and Joe Rosanello are in the breach. Uh, Deacon Bob's new book, Understanding St. Paul, A Concise Guide to His Theology, His Letters, and His Life. Buy it at Sophia Press. Buy it at the publisher. Let me let me keep going with that for a second, Deacon Bob. Um, people think that – you see, I like the way you put that. You know, is if people understood – the battle is not. If you listen to the to the to the culture to the news media, right? Seems like the 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 battle of our times is between capitalism and communism, between free markets and freedom, and and totalitarian communism. No, it's not. It's the spiritual battle that matters because at the end of the day, both capitalism and communism are materialist worldviews denying the spiritual. Okay, or you could be spiritual just in some sort of private way. Okay, but at the end of the day, human history comes down to the material rather than the spiritual. That's why that fight's never going anywhere. There's not going to be any winner in that fight. Okay, because they don't understand the need for Christ. The capitalist just worries about making money and material, material well-being in a big bank book. The communist, same way, just in the opposite direction. Talk about that a little bit. Am I wrong in my assessment of that, Deacon Bob? Not at all. Not at all. The, the, the struggle today is to find meaning and purpose in life. And you see it in our young people most pronounced. They have, by and large, given up on the hopes that things are going to get better. 
and they really, really, really need hope. That's, that's why we have so much suicide, so much despair, so much depression, is this lack of having meaning and purpose in life. And that's really what the struggle is about. Those who find meaning in Christ and those who say, no, no, meaning is in self-gratification and meaning is in my self-expression, it's all about me. No, it isn't. <laughs> and you're going to come to that realization very late in your life if you keep this up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I, w- I wish people would realize that, Deacon Bob. And hey, wait, listen, that's why you wrote a book about St. Paul. That's why Joe and I are doing what we do on Catholic Radio. That's why Catholic Radio exists. That's why, you know, God calls us all to proclaim the truth out there, to, to, to dispel a lot of what the culture teaches and St. Paul did that you know in his time. I'm glad you brought that up about slavery because I'm tired of people looking back with modern standards on something that you know they don't really have a clue about. And if they did a little research, they probably would understand it a little bit better. Let's uh let's keep the conversation moving Deacon Bob Joe Rasinello, where do you want to go? Let's talk about grace. <clears throat> in the scripture, uh Paul's writings, he talks about a thorn in his side and and God says my grace is sufficient. Um, Paul was a gifted man. He had a great resume, gifted, gifted, but he trusted in grace. I think that's what's lacking sometimes within the church. Many people in the church, like yourself, you're a nuclear engineer, you're a gifted guy. Let's, I'm not just saying that. You are, straight up. Um, but those gifts don't resonate with people sometimes in the spiritual life you talked about when paul and the other segments spoke people saw an authority in him scripture says that about jesus he spoke with authority unlike the scribes and pharisees that's a grace that we have to make available to us i've learned this in my own walk with jesus and the church i absolutely believe in everything the church says because i absolutely don't trust myself at all. I believe that if I adhere to the vine, I will bear fruit because Jesus said so. And Paul trusted in the grace of God as opposed to his immense gifts, and he had them. And I don't think that's happening enough. We are too reliant upon ourselves, our own gifts, our intelligence, our way we can communicate, our degrees, our whatever, all of which pale in the comparison of grace. Paul understood that. Paul was fruitful. We could be as fruitful. Talk about it. Yeah, let's um, let's look for a, a, a minute here at this whole subject of grace and how Paul's understanding came about and matured. Um, in the first century, there was no concept of the idea that God would sanctify human beings or that God would empower human beings. And yet Paul observed in those who were recently baptized an empowerment that was just remarkable. And he's trying to get his arms around, well, what is this? What is this that happens to, to these people? What are they getting? And he regarded it as, ah, this is what Jesus talked about of being attached to the vine, that that nourishment that was going to come from the vine. What is this nourishment, this empowerment that enables one to do the will of God? And there was no word for it. And so he chose the word, the Greek word charis, which actually means favor. 
not gift, but favor. And to this day, many people tend to think of grace as being a favor God bestows on you because you're a good person. And if you're not a good person, well, you don't get this, this, this favor. That's not it. Paul understood that this grace was this empowerment that we receive from God to do his will. And without that empowerment, we cannot fulfill the will of God. We can't consistently live out the, the life that Christ calls us to without grace. And that's the treasure that the Catholic Church has. We have the ultimate source of grace in the sacraments. The sanctifying grace that comes from the sacraments is what each and every one of us need and if there's any reason in the world why you need to be a Catholic, the answer is it's in the sacraments. It's the grace you receive from the sacraments. That's the empowerment that God gives you to live out his will. And that's the concept that Paul came to understand far ahead of anyone else. And it has taken centuries for the, for the rest of the Christianity, so to speak, to come around to this understanding of, no, no, this, is, this grace is an empowerment from God. This is the nourishment that we receive from the vine that Jesus promised. That's what grace is. This isn't some favor because we live virtuous lives. This, this is something we absolutely need. And the place to find it in its abundance is in the Catholic Church. I want to expand on that because grace elevates our human nature, and you touched on this. You can't live as a Catholic without grace. Absolutely. God, you can't do it. You yes. can't do it. You see, the world doesn't believe in grace, but it's real. How does a priest remain celibate? How does a single person remain celibate? How does a man stay married for 50 years and faithful to his wife? How do you do those things? Grace, it's real, but we have to avail ourselves to grace. We, as Catholics, have to rely upon it and avail ourselves, and you touch it again, Deacon, in the sacramental life. Confession, the Eucharist, particularly, the one-two punch of life. Mm -hmm. And if we don't avail ourselves to it, we're not going to get it. And if we don't get it, we're going to fall on our face. We still sometimes fall on our face. Then we go back to the sacrament of confession. Paul understood that. I still don't think the world gets that. That grace is real. It's not a mistake when you see people live a quote-unquote good Catholic life. They availed themselves to a grace which is free and it's available to every soul. Whether you enter the Gregorian or you're a janitor. Exactly. Well, let's talk about that because I don't think the world believes it. I uh, seriously don't. They think that, like you said, you're a good guy or somehow you're gifted and I'm not. Wrong. I might be a million times less gifted than you. And what makes it, and then I'm, we're definitely interested in your, in your comments on that, uh, Deacon Bob. And what makes it even worse is usually you mentioned fruit earlier, Joe, like you know them by their fruits, right? Um, you would think that somebody who sees the bad fruit, this is what makes it even worse in modern times. You think when somebody doesn't believe what you just outlined, Joe, they would look at the bad fruit that's being produced in their lives, okay, and say, well, wow, that's pretty bad. I, I'm going to have to turn towards God. Nowadays, the, the culture says, no, no, embrace that bad fruit. No, 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 cherish it, love it, uh, accept it, be tolerant of it, be, be inclusionary when it comes to that bad fruit. 
That, that, I mean, it makes it even worse is that when you see the, the, the horrible consequences of not believing in God, all right, of not availing yourself of grace, now we're being taught, well, no, that's not actually bad consequences. It's actually a good thing. You're actually a free person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're seeing the profound effect that secularism has had on the thinking uh, in, in our culture. And the, the principal argument of secularism is you're unhappy because you cannot live up to the expectations God has for you. So forget this God business. It's all a lot of, of superstition. What you need to concentrate your attention on is fulfilling yourself. And so that's the reason people have kind of turned away from this whole concept of, of grace, because they've turned, turned away from this whole concept of God has importance in their lives. And so secularism has really infiltrated like crazy, and in particular in our education system. Uh, those who were who uh, went through uh, education system in America in about the last 25 years was just saturated with secularist thinking. That that morality arises out of progressive values, not out of divine command. Because divine command, you can't live up to. That's why you're unhappy. So forget it all. That's the that's the secularist way of, of viewing the world. And so many people have bought into that. They've been nurtured on it since they were children, on that whole line of thinking. And that's why we have so many Catholics who are willing to accept abortion. You say, how can that possibly be? Well, the answer is the morality of the question flows from progressive values, you know, the right of the woman to control her body and you know, all that line of reasoning, and it all makes sense to them, and so they accept it. They don't necessarily promote it, but they certainly accept it. We, we have some who actually promote it, okay? But, right. but there's a remarkable number of, of Catholics who accept uh, abortion, and we wonder how can that be? It's because of that secularist way of seeing the world has so infiltrated their thinking that they not only reject the whole concept of grace and the power that it can perform in their lives, they reject the whole idea that there is divine command. It's, it's, it's all about me. And, and yeah, that's, yeah. That's that's the world we live in. You know, that's no, that's, that's exactly no, that's exactly. That's well, the situation let, the Lord's given us. <laughs> listen, I, I've heard it said before, um, is, you know, God shows us to be born at this time in history. I yeah. don't know why. I Not don't know why I wasn't born some, some you know, slave during the Roman Empire. I have no idea, okay? I know that God chose me to be born at this time in history. So I have to deal with the times as they are and hopefully do it as a faithful disciple of Christ. Now, along those lines, Deacon Bob Evans joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, how could St. Paul's example embolden us who, uh, okay, we're not being persecuted yet, okay? I mean, real persecution, like like communist persecution, like what Cardinal Zen is going through in, in China, okay? And what the Catholic Church went through under both the Nazis and the communists in Europe um, and, and, and all of it. We're not being persecuted like that in America. But nonetheless, we are being persecuted. We're, it's starting. You know, the, the, the being ostracized, being pushed out to the peripheries. Um, we don't bring that garbage into the public square type thing. Uh, cancel your job, perhaps. Okay, things like that. Okay. How could Paul's example embolden us to do what he says, which is fight the good fight and run the race till the end? Talk about that, Deacon Bob. 
Well, let, let's let's speak a minute about this subject of persecution because we are actually being persecuted far more than we're acknowledging. Okay, uh, persecution is more than just physical injury. It's more than just throwing us to the lions or or nailing us to a cross. Uh, it is attacking us as our persons, our ability to earn a living. There's persecution is really very intense presently, and it's going to stay that way certainly through the rest of our lifetime, guys, and probably the lifetime of, of our children as well. Uh, that's just the situation we're confronted with, and. Paul's sense was, you've got to deal with what you're given, you know? Part of the problem is we're getting so withdrawn, so becoming, as Catholics, becoming more protective. The, the, the believers are kind of withdrawing, you know, are unwilling to respond to their neighbors and friends and even members of their own family because, well, I, I'm, I, I, I can't handle all this. So that's one of the effects that persecution is having on us. We are withdrawing from the battle line. And that's exactly what the devil is after, okay? Withdraw from the battle line. It's Paul's whole position is, no, no, no. Confront the battle line. Not in a confrontational way, but in an engaging way. A way that has an opportunity of actually influencing others, bringing them around to a different way of thinking. And the, and the pathway in our times is is bring them around to their deep-rooted desire for meaning in their lives. And if we can speak to that and move the conversation around to that, now it's something that you have, they want, tell me more. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Joe Racinello, we have time for one more question, one more quick question for Deacon Bob. Well, this is a big one. Um, Paul spoke about receiving the Eucharist in a state of grace. There are many different opinions in the church on this. I prescribe to the one that Paul put forth. The sacrament of confession is for preparing you to receive, and then you receive. That is a teaching of the church. Many people, both inside the church and outside the church, who are baptized Catholics, do not prescribe to that. Please speak on it. Paul's advice to them was that if you receive the Eucharist unworthily, you bring condemnation upon yourself. And he added the proviso that each person was to examine themselves with respect to their suitableness to receive. It is not the duty of those who are distributing communion. It is the duty of one who is receiving communion. To, to to determine, uh, am I in the state of grace? A am I suitable to be receiving? Now I say, well, okay. Well, what do we do about it? Okay, and the question is, who is the we? It is not our task to decide that they're not suited. Once their conduct, though, begins to cause um, a, a, um, a scandal within the community, then it's the role of the pastor to protect the community against scandalous conduct, not come to the determination that you can't receive communion anymore. 
Well, let me ask you this, though. Yes. If a father, as I'm father of five, yes. I see bad behavior, isn't it my job to address it? What I would say is this. I'll just use this as an example. A man divorces his wife and remarries and comes to church. Yes. I'm the pastor. He is now married to another woman. That is an adulterous relationship. Isn't it my job, not publicly, but privately, to address that issue with him and oh, say, absolutely. You Absolutely. And the word you used was privately. It is his responsibility to address it privately. And it stays private until at some point that man's conduct causes broad scandal within his community. Now it's the time for the pastor to step in and say, no, you cannot receive communion any, any longer. And this is why. But what about at the situation with that person? He's hurting himself, though. He is. And he that's where I say, like, uh, there has to come a point, though, where the pastor, and, and that might take a little bit of time, that says, listen, you do receive, you are bringing sin upon yourself, and I can't participate in it. You see, I'm going to be honest with you. I, at, 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 I would be patient with that person, but speaking for me, yeah. you're free to do what you want, but you're not going to bring me into it. And I am not going to participate in your sin. Deacon Bob, final thought on that. We have about 30 seconds. Um, you, make a, you make a good point there. However, it is not a determination that is given to you to decide whether they are suitable or not. However, as a pastor, the situation is quite different. He is responsible for the spiritual life of not only that man, but all the others who are in the community as well. And it's, and it's fulfilling that responsibility that we call on pastors to do, and they do a remarkable job. And a lot of it goes on in the background. We have no idea, for example, how often the Bishop, talk to Nancy Pelosi. We have no idea. None of our business. But we can be assured that he he did everything he could to try to convince that woman what she was doing, and and he was he was forced to to make it public. Absolutely, Deacon Bob. We have to uh, leave it there. Deacon Bob Evans, thank you for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. We encourage everybody to go out and buy his book, buy it from the publisher. It's Sophia Press, Understanding St. Paul, A Concise Guide to His Theology, His Letters, and His Life. Deacon Bob, you're welcome back on the front, front line anytime. Excellent thank conversation. Thank you. thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely, and thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app, share it with your friends, and follow Joe and I on social media, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter and the Frontline TV on YouTube. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.